I burn everything I've got. Military Industrial Contract. A new world order. We are here to destroy the control of the industry of other people. I did not trade arms for hostages. It's been time-stealing. See, what, uh, what the audience doesn't realize is that over the past uh, few weeks, we've been conditioning them to believe that the shitposting 10-minute uh, portion uh, that now introduces each show would actually end. Uh, but in fact, uh, what we've been doing is setting them up for Myth of the 20th Century After Dark, where the, uh, the shitposting never stops and the, uh, the content is meandering and often vaguely obscene. I'm Hank Oslo. And I'm joined here by full, full house. We got uh, Adam Smith. We got Hans Lander. We got Nick Mason. And you should know their voices by now. So everybody say hello. Hey. This is hey. Hans. I'm Nick. Uh, for people who don't know, this is the show where, where we, uh, you know, uh, maybe you don't have enough prep done for an actual show. So we stay up and uh, drink and uh, talk about whatever comes to mind. Uh you know, it's better than not posting. As far as I know, we've only missed one week in the entire time we've been doing this. I think we've missed a couple, at least. We've missed yeah, a few. There were holidays. Like we, I think that typically we've taken Christmas off, or we'll take like Christmas to New Year's corridor off. Every now and then, if all of us just, if it, if the stars align and all of our schedules are really foobar, we'll like ditch the week or something and then come back the following week. Um, you know, like it, it's happened a few times. I think that Adam has always been uh, very, very diligent in making sure that we kind of kick it into gear and actually deliver, which is good. But I would say that maybe at least the entire time I've been here, like we've had to reschedule a show or bump it maybe three or four times tops, maybe five. Which is pretty good uh, for like... Pretty good you know what are what are we on now like 140 something is this 145 Should be like 145 yeah that's like three years of uh three years of shows so yeah. what'd you guys what'd you guys do for halloween trick or treat man uh, i dressed up as a lumberjack so <laughs> what was your costume i was <laughs> i went as a lumberjack I ba- basically, I mean, aren't aren't all urban hipsters lumberjacks today? Well, though? yeah. So, yes. I mean, I I I've been accused of, of being a hip, like I guess looking like a hipster before. For the few of those who have actually met me, uh, that that is probably like a good way of describing how I typically dress or just look. Um, I generally look terrible and disheveled, um, but handsome at the same time. And I wear like flannels and jeans and boots most of the time. Um, but I basically like got suspenders. I actually didn't own any suspenders, and I got like a thicker flannel and a beanie 
and I rolled my boots up or I rolled my jeans up so I could show off like the highest boots I had. And did you carry a weapon to the office? So I really wanted to. Um, oh shit! I shouldn't have said that. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I really didn't want to carry a weapon to the office. What I wanted to do was carry a prop that looked like a weapon to the office. Um, but you know, it's only it a weapon really... if you're a tree. So here, here's the issue. Here's here's the issue. Uh, a lot of like the good-looking foam axes because they have an actual hatchet that would look good, but I really can't bring a real. I can't walk around. A metro area with an like a hatchet only uh, if you're also in blackface right right so that would make more sense but um i decided like okay maybe i'll buy a foam axe on amazon right like a realistic looking one but i saw ones that looked good but they were like 35 dollars just the base price, thirty-five. I was thinking this all is all those tiny Chinese fingers have to yeah. airbrush it by hand. I was like, I can get a real shitty axe from like the local uh, Dick Sporting Goods made in India or whatever for about that same price and walk around with it. I'm sure if you just like ground the blade flat, like noticeably flat, it would be fine. Like, no, there's but, no law against carrying a big ass hammer, so. If uh, if you want to sauce your imagination a little bit more, Hans basically is a dead ringer for like Weave's Big Brother. What oh no! Fuck? Don't say that. Don't say that. Don't fucking say that, dude. Don't say that. What the fuck? Uh, I can I can attest Hans is much more handsome and. Uh, airy <laughs> He's also not a Jew. I'm not Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, isn't his isn't his brother Jesus. black? We're we're gonna get we're gonna get fucking hacked off the internet now, guys. We're already off the fucking internet. Hank, yeah, what I was take your all, Halloween? I take it back. Wait, what? What, what was your costume? Uh, I was uh, I was the father of a uh, ferocious jungle beast. That was my uh, that was my role. You mean like an like an African child? No, like a uh, like I a uh, you know a uh, a beast of the jungle, uh, and uh, uh, you know I, I followed him around, maintaining the. Uh, the candy bag, making sure nobody got lost, etc. We did the truck trick or treating. It was a pretty did good time. Then we, we came home and uh, on, like uh, Tigger. What was that? Did he have a tail uh, that was safety pinned on? Oh, like he's got Tigger. the whole he's got the whole the whole getup. It was pretty great. It won't fit him next year, but uh, you know, the uh, th- the nice thing is that when you're a small child, like any time around Halloween. You can get basically like a week, maybe two weeks of usage out of that costume. It's just your walking around clothes at that point. Mm-hmm. It's usually Halloween yeah, they, is not a weekend, so you know, or it's not like on a Saturday. So there's there's stuff like in the week leading up to it. There's always like a little, you know, daytime walk around thing. There's usually a bunch of them, and then you know, there's the uh, the actual trick or treating, and then it's like. You know, there's a lot of kids. They're like, "Hey, I want to be a, a dinosaur forever." So, my God, they just don't change out of thing. It's like uh, long underwear at the end of the uh, long hiking trip. Mm-hmm. Adam, I'm gonna go out on a limb and guess that uh, you didn't have a costume. You're right, Nick. 
you're right. I'm the perpetual Grinch. Uh, no, I I, uh, I didn't have a costume, but I did uh, welcome the trick or treaters that came this year. Uh, I always look forward to that. Gives me some hope. You made sure to only future. give candy to white children, though, right? My neighborhood, there actually were only uh, of that type children. So, um, yeah, it was good. Uh, they came by. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot because there's, like, as Hank is talking about, there were these kind of neighborhood things where, you know, they're concerned about safety kind of thing. So they'll have everybody meet in the parking lot, which is, you know, kind of a bummer. But uh, so that sucked up a lot of the trick-or-treaters. But there were that were a few that came by and it was sort of like a tidal wave because you can hear him screaming and yelling and so <clears throat> i got the uh the candy out there and uh the first kid who came by he was really polite and everything because uh, I, th- I think he felt like he was kind of cheating because nobody else was doing it uh and he just took one piece and then he he went on his way and, and his mom's like did you remember to say thank you and he's like thank you so he's super nice and then um and then we got another wave and this was like seven of them and i mean not only in terms of like quantity of trick-or-treaters but quantity of candy taken uh these guys were like steam shovels they were sticking their hands into the bucket and they're pulling out all yeah this you stuff. did a deep dive uh, yeah and and they almost depleted it but fortunately that was uh that was the second to last group that came by but it was enough to see you know just some nice kids uh, doing what they're supposed to do, which is having fun and not worried about the stuff we concern ourselves with. And so that made me happy. Uh, did not have a costume, but uh, today it was funny. My uh, my friend told me I, I should have been blackface for black, uh, Halloween because I was working under the, the car all day and I got a bunch of soot all over me. And my hands are covered and I even got some of it in my beard. And so I'm going to have to shave that off or something but uh yeah i could i could i could go as a don't, don't 19th century I, I coal miner all kinds of shit in my beard and i just you know kind of gradually get rid of it over the yeah. over a couple months like th- don't worry about it yeah it just it disperses yeah it's fine it leaves on its own It'll you know actually up. i went to a bar as part of halloween night and some of the costumes i saw were pretty terrifying um there was i mean they were all like white women so white women basically ruin Halloween every year. Um, half of what, them do like was the it slutty a slut walk. Yeah, half of them do the slutty version of insert your favorite Disney princess here, um, or like well, slutty how, how, how warm was it though? Because where I am, it's too cold for them to See, do that. It was actually it was it was Ooh, that's where you're strangely on. warm and balmy all day and night, like re- like humid and balmy and nice. Um, so people were wearing really scantily clad uh, hooker costumes, basically. Um, by day, I guess you're a consultant at McKinsey or whatever, and then by night you literally dress like the horror version of Little Red Riding Hood. Mm, um, sexy Red Riding it, Hood, always a classic. Yeah, so but there were like there was like one insane white woman who literally stapled like a fourteen. I want to say actually more like four or five foot long penis, like like cloth penis over her vagina and was walking around with it with like a white tee and jeans on. Tee uh, I don't get it. I don't get it either. There was there was a there was a literal gay sailor, like there was a gay black guy wearing like booty shorts and a sailor's costume. Um how many how day. many Rick and Mortys did you see? Honestly? I didn't see any Rick and Mortys. Um, you know, last I, year I saw like three. Oh God! 
The inflatable yeah, I mean, dinosaurs are uh, are very popular with the kids. Not so much with the sluts, but uh, you know, you get an eight year old and uh, you put him inside of an inflatable dinosaur. The problem is that it takes up like the entire sidewalk. You're like in a diving suit. Like you know, I actually table. I want to say that I saw at least two slutty dinosaur costumes. How does that work? Well, here's how it works. Like you buy like the like the supposedly cute like dinosaur onesie, like the felt onesie, but you buy it in a size that's way too small for you, so it hugs like your ass and your cleavage. And um, then you walk to a bar and you walk around in that and. Uh, that's basically the game plan is to somehow be a slutty dinosaur in like a children's outfit. I I'm Googling dinosaur onesie and I'm imagining like no, no way in which regardless of how you kind of stuffed uh, what, uh, what flesh uh, into what size of dinosaur I mean, onesie. You assume it's only flesh being stuffed in there. Like, you know, that women lie and, I mean, no. women have been lying for thousands of years. They've been stuffing tissue in their bra. Hans, what are you saying? What are you saying, I mean, come Hans? On. It, it, I don't know how they do it, I, but I definitely saw it. I witnessed the slutty dinosaur onesie twice at the same bar in one night. Hmm. That's uh, that's impressive. Uh, yeah. That's dedication. Nick, Nick, how about you? Oh, I just... Uh... I had I just grabbed some stuff that I have laying around the house, you know, like a, a ski mask and you know various uh, uh, military surplus type stuff. And that's what you normally wear. Fake, yeah, but then I put on fake vampire teeth, and then I uh, went around and handed out racialist propaganda to tr- children. You Did know what you should have done? You should have dressed. You should have <clears throat> put on blackface and been like the MAGA country guys who kicked the shit out of Jesse Smollett. Oh, that would have been, been funny. Oh been shit! Good, that would have been really funny if you like walk. Yeah. If you, like, you put on blackface with a MAGA hat, and you had like a, your buddy also in blackface, but like a lighter tone of blackface because Jesse Smollett is probably like seventy percent white. I and did you had have news around him, and you walked around and you just screamed, "This is MAGA country." I had something really spooky though that I did have to endure. Like, uh... so I watched the show American Horror Story. Okay, and. um uh, this is the second time I've I've watched. I watched like maybe the first or the second season. Uh, both times was you know obviously involved a woman. I wouldn't watch this otherwise. And uh, that is some that's some pretty terrifying stuff. I will say because it's, I mean, like I haven't seen anything that just in your face like American Jewish bullshit. You know it's. At the same time, though, it had a really good soundtrack. It was it, it was does, the one that was set yeah. in the hotel, and it, they were playing like, you know, like Jesus and Mary Chain and Bauhaus and all that good good stuff in the eighties. And uh, I liked that part of it, but and then the the other thing that was really weird about it, and I, was t- I was talking to a friend of mine about this, is it had a very like they they go out of their way to to blaspheme against everything you could possibly blaspheme against with the exception of the american civic religion like they do every form of depravity that you could that you could stuff into this thing and then at the end of the day it still affirms the moral virtues of the civic religion it is 
it was a not a pleasant experience. Uh, what was the plot? Can you outline it briefly? Well, in this case, it was just like everything thrown into one. It, it had some kind of charming like camp to it. Uh, some of the some of the actors did they hammed it up just right. But this each each it's an anthology series, uh, which I would not recommend to anybody. But the uh, each one it sets it has a different you know setting. And the, the one I watched was set in a hotel and it had Lady Gaga, who I'm absolutely not convinced is actually a woman uh as one of the main characters and then uh there's like vampires and ghosts and they just they just like murder people and have gay sex actually i'm gonna I'm push back on that like lady gaga uh wait you is, me. is like moderately attractive on when she's oh. not when she's not trying to look I'm weird sorry, bro, you're gay now. i saw that stupid movie she did with uh, i'm with, I'm with Hans. Yeah, when what? she was younger, you know, when she wasn't going going nuts. Yeah, but oh. I, mean, I saw that. I saw that movie she did just a few years ago with Bradley Cooper, uh, like the fifth remake Stars of the Stars or something. And she's she's cute. She's just just decent. Her face she's not like weird. She has I like she, she her jawline and it's like that of a man. Yeah, she she, she has a she has a butterface. She definitely is like butterface one hundred and one, and it's really hard to say, but. Everything else is nice. Like she's she's attractive. I don't know. Mm, I mean, not. Mm, come on, mm, come on. Mm, mm. You're you're. <laughs> don't don't it, be. It has high standards. I, I know you like Lady Gaga. I know you like her. I well, mean, I was like, okay, yeah, like it. Okay, what were you gonna say, Hank? I'm, I'm, but I mean, does anybody I, I, really like? You know, you can say under the makeup or whatever, but when you when you construct your persona as like, hey, look at my meat dress or whatever, I mean, does anybody care? Like, does anybody give a shit if Marilyn Manson is handsome or like, I don't know, the Gwar guys? Gwar is pretty dope, though. I mean, Gwar is dope, but like, you know, I, I could give a fuck what any of them actually look like. No, nobody cares. It's Gwar. Well, they 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 look. They're not even human, dude. They're they're the you know horrible monstrosities. And stuff. Right, the Finnish uh, Finnish monsters uh, from the future, etc. Yeah, okay, right. so if you guys don't care, then Hans isn't gay. I think that checks uh, out. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. You said you're not gay, man. Oh, oh, okay. I I whoa, misheard whoa. that. Yeah. I think Skype like is trying to psyop me because I thought you just said Hans trying to break is us gay. apart. I was a little worried. Mm-hmm. Adam, Unity. Unity. Sahudar, whatever the fuck is, uh, it's really working us. Hey, do you guys actually know how Halloween became big in America? Like, I do not. I mean, can I just spoil it for you? Yeah, go for it. It was Irish people. Uh, makes sense. Yeah. I actually heard that from uh, Bab. Yeah, effectively, what had happened was... Uh, I mean, it's all it, for a long time in the 19th century. It was def- and in the early 20th century. It was like a, like a harvest season revanchism. Like, oh, we should always remember the autumn harvest, kind of the eternal autumn harvest. Uh, but there was definitely this element, especially in the southern states and in the Midwest later on, where there's more and more Irish and Catholic immigration of, uh, you know, actually celebrating this as some kind of holiday with all the spooky spirits and all the little rituals and everything. 
I mean, good for them. I think we said this last year, but it's really, it is the only social holiday. There's a lot of family holidays, but it, it's literally the only holiday in the American pantheon where you are obliged to go out and meet your neighbors. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's actually a, a good thing. Uh, where I grew up, it was definitely fun. I mean, parents would basically hang out at like, I remember there was always one family and they would literally sit out in the front with like a margarita mixer and with a blender and everything and like make drinks for parents and parents would just kind of sit there and hang out on the front lawn and all the kids and teenagers would run around the neighborhood and go up in the hills and get candy or whatever like it wasn't i mean it was it was pretty nice and normal i don't i've never had a problem with it i know a lot of i think more religious types um or you know very devout christians have a a serious issue with the whole thing but i think it's pagan well yeah and i understand where it's coming from but on the same level yes and no it's so it, at this point, it's really just like a social tool. But I mean, but now it's it's more. I mean, I think when you're in twenties and thirties, it's like uh, get go to a bar dressed as a slut and get laid. Tool. I don't know. Hmm. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But what's in the night before? That's when you burn down the crack houses. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> that's in Detroit. Well, no, Crack House uh, is occupied, and they take offense to uh, trying to be uh, smoked out. You want to burn down the unoccupied ones. Wait. Why? Well, because, like, if you just throw flaming embers or whatever at the Crack House, the guy running the Crack House is going to run out and be like, Hey, yo, that's my Crack House. Run? Is there actually a guy who runs the crack house? How's yeah, that dude, work? this is a, so it's like a, it's like a one-stop shop. It's like you go and, uh, it's like, it's like picture an opium den. Like you go, you, you like buy on site, you consume on site. Hmm. Like probably also there's like hookers, like, or slash, like you have the opportunity to, uh, it's all a cart. Like you can you kind know. of just pick and choose what you want to do when you're there. Yeah. yeah. That, sounds, that sounds like a good business model. Well, the way yeah. it works is the women are typically addicted. And so they basically pay for their addiction with right. turning tricks for the guy who runs the place. And then he sells that to customers and uh, uses that for other means as well. Taking a cut both ways. Smart, smart business. That's that's the kind of immigrant entrepreneurship and you know minority-owned businesses that I think we really should celebrate in this country. I agree completely. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of burning stuff down, have you have you guys been paying attention to the uh, the the final end for California? Oh With yeah, I noticed that California was on fire again. Yeah, well, I think it's tragedy. At, I'm looking at tragedy. a map. Uh, that the LA Times has been maintaining, and there's 11 like very big fires going right now. None of them are. I mean, there's only one that is uh, above 90% contained, and it actually I should say two, but they're both very small fires. All the large ones are not very well contained. Like the Kincaid fire uh, has somehow wiped out. N- you know, closing in on 80,000 acres, and it's been up for 11 days. 
There's another fire that's uh, the Taboos fire, which has been burning for 58 days and is only at 75% containment. Yeah, I mean, some of these, I've been kind of not exhaustively compiling them, but uh, just kind of paying attention. And there's a claim that the one was started by like a hobo with a flare gun. Uh, There was another one that uh, supposedly the guy was uh, distraught because his... uh, his wife died or divorced him or something and was like throwing bits of flaming paper out of his truck. Um, supposedly no sense. Yeah. Supposedly some good Samaritan called this in and he confessed. I, that whole, that whole story is weird, but, uh, the point being, it seems to be a thing now that people are starting to realize that the whole state is just a giant fucking tinderbox. And, like, most of the people that seem to be taking advantage of that seem to be just kind of drunk or crazy or God only knows what. But it's really not hard to see how that becomes kind of a a focal point for uh, antisocial behavior. Well, what's what's interesting, I mean, I don't know if you got, I used to spend a lot of time hiking and sort of mountaineering in California. Um, and one of the things I noticed growing up, uh, and one of the things my dad always said was that a lot of the trees uh, that we would find out in the wilderness were not native. Increasingly, like they were huge. huge what, what were you saying? Eucalyptus is, is huge. It was well, actually trans. Even, eucalyptus is bad, soil erosion really bad. Control. But you, what you find out, you won't find eucalyptus like in a lot of these kind of federal forests uh, or in a lot of these pieces of state land. I would say that's rare. Uh, if they are out there, that's a big fucking problem. Um, but I think what you typically find are just a wide variety of shrubs and um, small trees that are just not native for various reasons. Um, and you'll also find, uh, you know, some amounts of foreign oak um, and foreign deciduous trees that grow way too compactly. If you ever look at traditional California forests or wilderness, uh, wildernesses or meadows, um, it's typically very large trees that ha- don't have a lot of plants growing near them for various reasons, uh, and, and se- except for a few spots in the deep north of California where there are sort of evergreen forests. Um, but increasingly, the the tree density or the, the plant density uh, in a lot of these large forest areas uh, is not... In, in line with how it traditionally was. I'm thinking of one area um, near Mount Wilson, um, which is in Southern California, not far from Pasadena. And uh, there were several areas where you, you could find like these weird ferns growing between uh, huge oak trees. Came now, the those portals. ferns really, 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 really shouldn't be there. I don't know why they're there or how they got there or why they're like living year-round. But what happens is when it gets real dry, those things are really easy to turn into like flaming ember producers. Um, and a lot of those oak trees, you can see they have um, 
bur- almost burn scars on some of their bark. Like they're able to resist a lot of fire damage over time. Um, but if the you know if, if there's a ton of plants around them that are going up in flames, it just becomes too hot, and the tree starts to die immediately. And it's, as soon as it starts to die, the bark will go away, and then the tree will just go up in flames. Um, so that was something that I think people have been slowly ta- realizing is that a lot of these forested areas are a filled with hundreds of millions of dead trees, and b a lot of them no longer resemble sort of the old California forests that were built around having wildfires every twenty years that would clear them out. So now there's a lot of now, now we're seeing the, the, the effects. Fire the effects of that where the you know the air it's basically creating air pollution problems it's creating infrastructure issues uh i saw someone actually point out that um it's actually i think this was on zero hedge the other day but it's looking more and more like pg and e might be shutting down this power because uh it has less to do with fire risk and more to do with these insane windstorms that a huge, a large chunk of their power con- power generation is coming from wind turbines, which have to be shut down during high windstorms, um, and they're simply not able to provide power consumption capacity to a lot of these areas. And that some of this might just be sort of some, sort of a literal smokescreen for their failing energy policies in the state of California, rather than sort of high fire risk. I read a, a pretty good article recently about uh, what's going on in California with regard to the power being shut off, and it's it's being blamed by most people uh, on the, the wildfires, uh, but uh, there's other explanations, obviously, and one of the big ones is, as you're talking about, the green energy push in California has forced uh, PG&E, the, the main power producer in the northern two-thirds or three-quarters of the state, uh, to to invest in enormous amounts of very expensive, clean, quote-unquote, uh, slash renewable energy. And it's uh, it's putting a, a large financial burden on the company. And in order to raise, or excuse me, in order to maintain their system, PG&E at least is claiming that they would have to raise rates by at least four times, which is, to me, a little absurd. I don't quite believe that number. Uh, but I do believe that they're probably uh, are spending uh, an inordinate amount of money on the uh, the green energy stuff, which is typically more expensive than burning natural gas, which is what they typically have been doing in order to uh, try to uh, balance the uh, the the demand on the grid when they have uh, spikes. Uh, so they they have these things called peaker plants, which go on, and uh, natural gas fired turbines are pretty easy to to spin up when they need to, uh, as opposed to something like a nuclear power plant, which is basically you don't shut it off kind of thing. But um, in order to to meet the spikes, they have these types of things uh, like natural gas. But the the thing about natural gas is that it releases CO two, so they don't like that in California, and so they've invested in all these. Uh, renewable systems, uh, which to what degree, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to see some hard numbers on it, uh, but it does make some sense that if you say the wind is not blowing, then if that's their base, you know, or a large chunk of their base load uh, supply, they're not going to be able to supply uh, the um, 
the electricity needs uh, on the demand side. And so, ironically, I guess if the the wind gusts are too high, they have to actually shut the turbines off because they are known to actually explode. Oh um, yeah, and and there's there's another problem I think that also is being talked about is that they they do have like a large solar gener solar power generation. Um, and it was theorized that it could be that a lot of the the heavy smoke from these wildfires um, could be in some small way uh, impacting the ability for those solar cells to actually take in enough solar energy to be useful during the day or during to be useful at any time of day. Uh, but generally, it's looking more and more uh, like this whole crisis was 20, 30 years in the making. And, you know, it, when I, I've spent so much of my life out in those federal forests and in, in those forested zones, it's, and it's typically is federal land. A huge chunk of rural California is basically just federal land. Um, and it is not maintained. It, it, it has you know, the, literally zero solutions, and it's sort of pathetic. You just need to find a way to produce energy off of the burning state. You know, you just turn the giant forest fires into, you know, energy to fuel, um, you know, the gay disco, Beam. you know, to power the, the disco lights at the gay discos. Well, it's interesting is I don't really I don't really know what the state's overall or overarching plan for any of this is. Plan? They don't. They don't have. They don't have. Like just like a video where he was Trump all yeah. this. You wild say this Trump. word. It, it's a familiar word, but I, it just. It, I don't. You know the meaning of this word, right? Yeah. <laughs> I. I. I, 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 I mean, some part of me. Some part of me feels you like you can't say plan without the like, man. Yeah. The man. Yeah. Well, you know, I, it's tragic. I, I love the forests of, of California, especially the forests of deep northern California. But they've been, you know, the towns there have been destroyed for a long time. If you want a good look at what life was like there, uh, read the read the book Vineland by Thomas Pynchon. That, that book is perfect capsule of old northern California that is long dead. And yeah, it'll be buried in the ashes. I mean, it it died first with the with the lumber industry, and then, and, and, you know, the abandonment of the northern part of the state by by the capital, and now it's just going to burn. There was uh, that there were a couple of years ago. There was that town uh, Oroville that where the dam was literally about to explode, yeah. right? And well, they were talking about having to evacuate two hundred thousand people, and then if oh, you look were, at if you look at voting trends for that county, it was like seventy-five percent red or something like that. And you're like, oh, okay, so this is why they they literally put in zero effort in trying to repair the infrastructure. Yeah, I there. think that's a huge part of it. To be honest, the the extent to which California just treats its outlying areas like literal colonies, like, oh, we have to preserve their natural beauty in case I want to go skiing or hiking there uh, on the off chance. Otherwise, let's just keep them in kind of genteel, increasingly less genteel poverty. Like, there's a reason why PG&E shut off the power where they did. And 
I mean, it would be astonishing if that did not have something to do with the political influence of the areas involved. People get really pissed when you turn off the power. I mean, people don't just get pissed. They die. Like, you, you shut off the power for people's medical equipment, for their communications, for the gasoline pumps, etc. Like, there's a there's quite a few deaths that are directly attributable to those power shutoffs. And I well, see it as just, you know, triaging them at the most favorable interpretation and at the least favorable as just one more incremental bit of essentially ethnic cleansing. Well, PG&E literally ethnic cleansed a, uh, a town nearly 20 years ago now uh, that was the subject of the julia roberts movie aaron brockovich um but hinkley california was literally like an old school red california red desert town and a lot of those places sort of in the central part of the state towards the south uh if you want to see like what nick is talking about the end like kind of the the decline of all of the north of california the central part of california is just as terrible in its decline um and this town was quite literally uh, abandoned. Uh, that the movie doesn't really cover that. It happened, you know, after the timeline the movie covers. But a town of nearly two thousand people uh, who all ended up having like severe health defects, especially the ones born there, uh, they all had to leave. And PG and E basically got away with it and paid like had a slap on the wrist in court. Uh, and you know somehow it was still operational after that uh, after basically killing a couple dozen people well, I mean there's giving no several thousand evidence. major birth defects and then like forcing them to leave their homes Hans it's a difficult situation I mean I'm not I'm not defending anybody here but I'm just the the sort of assumption that they could just close PG&E and then pick uh, some company from Texas like they tried to do with Enron uh, let's not forget that um, it's it's no easy game. I mean, you've got the utility that's heavily regulated there for a reason. It's supposed to have this concept of government oversight, and which they don't do a very good job, obviously. And they they just point fingers at each other, and it's a very immature uh, political climate, obviously. But the the, the logistical uh, difficulty of provisioning power without interruption, which is obviously what they're failing to do, uh, or safely, which is also what they've been failing to do for years. Uh, there was a huge explosion uh, about uh, seven years ago, if people forget. That was also pg and Anderson Cooper was talking about that on CNN. I remember that very vividly. Uh, but, um, you know, just you, you have infrastructure, and you have to have somebody provisioning electricity. So, yeah, you can get rid of management. I'm okay with that. But closing the company and then... Uh, just well, they already tossed management. Like, it's not gonna. They not had gonna like that diversity hire Cuban bitch from Florida who was running the company for several years, and she literally oversaw the decline of PG&E's internal infrastructure, and was showering uh, their shareholders. How long has she been there? Do you know? What, what was that? How long has she been there? Do you know? She had been there for several years. And she, you know, basically, it had come out even more recently that the company, based, yeah, some internal memos came out. For years, they've been saying internally that they were going to prioritize uh, shareholders. And I think, I get it. I understand why you have a fiduciary duty to do that. 
but it sort of defeats the purpose of running a utility if that is your primary concern, not to mention when your utility is literally failing constantly. And the internal infrastructure, the, even the internal management systems for their infrastructure don't work, literally don't work half the time. So it, it the whole thing sort of seems odd to me. I think it's it's emblematic more and more of just the decline of governance in this country and also the public. You know, I refuse to believe that the American, that the Californian public of 50 years ago would have tolerated this from PG&E. And would have Wait, Hans, are you implying yeah. that we're living under an occupation government in a rapidly declining and collapsing society? Yeah, I would say that that sums it up pretty well. I mean, we do live Fuck. in a society. Oh, that's yeah. right. I wonder what if the, if like the next villain of the next Joker movie could be like PG&E or like a energy utility. Like like they kill the power during fire season. It's Joker time. Well, they did that in uh, Total Recall. People are seeing the Joker. I understand that to be true. (laughs) I actually have not seen it yet. Me Uh, neither. No spoilers. I've been uh, blissfully avoiding them for uh, this long. I was going to see it, and then I got like a minor flu or something and was hacking up green shit. Is it it like a thing on the internet now where it's like the Joker is a... Some kind of right-wing movie or something like that. I don't know. I think I'll that's be honest. What, that was like a funny thing to scare journalists with. I mean, I definitely helped participate in that, but I mean, it. it I don't know. Like, <laughs> didn't we do this with Bane? And it was sort of like, all right, nothing happened. So, how can you take that? Well, it, it was. It was basically like they. The whole cultural miasma surrounding joker was really peculiar like basically i want to say that they started it they started it by saying oh well it's a movie about a dejected white man like do we really need another one of these movies no but i mean that itself was part of the marketing push of the movie yeah and i always thought like this must be warner brothers like seeding controversy for the film I mean, they they were literally ripping off the old uh uh what is it, like hammer horror uh marketing campaign from the fifties like the movie so scary you could die of fright like what if there's a mass shooting at this movie because it's it's too extreme for you to handle you've got to sign a waiver before you go into the theater that's how scary it is. There was that kid who, uh, with no motive, uh, shot up a theater, and then they lied about the crime scene and uh, dragged him up for his trial. And he had well, some, as one does. Na- I mean, na- Navy psychologist handler or something. I remember that. Remember the funny, like the weird. No, I shouldn't say the funniest. The weirdest part of that whole case was you literally. I remember someone pointing out you literally couldn't open those doors from the outside. So it's it. It was always like, okay, well, uh, how did he walk in? How did that Wait, happen? are you talking about the gas chambers or what? What is what? <laughs> what? Oh, that's right. The, the theater it, it had wooden doors. <laughs> you couldn't get in. You couldn't get out, man. And he gassed it, didn't he? He uh, he gassed he, he it. He threw with, tear. Uh, he threw like uh, gas, like yeah. not tear gas. He threw like uh, smoke or something like smoke bombs to I don't know add some ambiance to the whole thing. Then he decided to shoot up the place. 
But yeah, I the, I want to say that all this stuff about jo- like the Joker movie, it started with them, and then people, uh, as you do, you find it funny. Like, okay, well, let's push these journalists to their breaking point. But like, that's kind of a fun pastime. Uh, we did it in 2016 with Trump. We you know we emailed these people 4,000 pictures of a noose a day, um, and they seemed pretty scared. So let's do that again. Um, and I want to say that the articles that came out as the movie came closer and closer were more and more on the nose. It was more and more like, uh, this, this is a film for Trump, Trump supporters about r- resisting oh, yeah, that, society right. and, and tearing that, that apart reminds society. Me. Look, Hans, let me know what you think about this. This is this idea. Okay. It's for a horror movie. And it's a serial killer, but he only kills journalists. There was a think? there was a graphic novel by Jonathan Hickman called The Nightly News. I don't know if anyone knows of that. Uh, it is literally about that. It's like some guy uh, who literally like hunts journalists and blows up like you know news stations. Uh, I mean, it. I mean, it came you out. You can get away. Well, I mean, look at Tarantino, though. You you can just rip people off and get away with it. It doesn't. It doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. Unless you know, they have more Jew lawyers than you do. Then then I guess you're screwed. But for the most part, you know, you can just you know. Well, journal have American journalists always been this bad? I mean, I, I don't, oh yeah, I don't know. yeah. Like the the idea that there was ever kind of a a noble class of muckraking reporters is itself a journalistic fabrication and just like auto fellatio. Sure, yeah. we, we've thinking we've of all the journalists who like tormented in the past, but I mean, most of the papers back when the papers mattered, you know, they were just the, they were the direct bag man. I mean, to the extent that it was better, it was because yeah, you yeah, had a game of dueling banjos where you had yeah. actual oppositional ideological there, factions there in control of different newspapers. Them. Right, exactly. There was more competition amongst the oligarchy, so you did get, you know, and you still get that today. Like, if you ever want to see, you know, if you want to see the, the Bergen clock, you know, be right, it's usually when they're throwing mud at, you know, someone else amongst the elite, and like, they did something to upset the majority share. Well, the, the Panama Papers and, was accused of that sort of thing. Well, the Pentagon Papers we've talked about too. Daniel Ellsberg himself was an operative. Uh, that's exactly what that was. I mean, well, I think you mentioned the Panama Papers. That was. Uh, oh, you said Pentagon or Panama? I well, said Panama, they, but, they but I thought you meant like, the Panama Papers were definitely some kind of op. I mean, I remember seeing all like the, the journalist organizations that had their logos beneath the Panama Papers site, and <laughs> like. It's like, you know, billion-dollar companies from around the world are going to tell you the truth about the financial elite and their their shifty schemes. That that was always kind of the, the irony of it all to me. It seemed like it, it was like a ploy, obviously, to take out people that uh, were disliked. I mean, obviously, Putin showed up because yeah, why there, not? There was like some... Uh... 
there was one particular country or something that uh, none of their clients uh, were implicated in the Panama Papers or one particular firm. There, there was some glaring omission in exactly who is leaked. And I mean, oh. it, it, like even the story itself was, it was, the substance of it was, hey guys, did you know that the obscenely wealthy use complicated financial vehicles in order to obscure how much paper wealth they theoretically control? Isn't that wild? Can you imagine? Nah, dude, wow. Nah, didn't happen. <laughs> I remember it actually caused, I think, the I want to say the prime minister or president of Iceland to resign. Yeah, there's something uh, like that. It, it, it caused some kind of political scandal, some very brief political scandal in Iceland. And someone had pointed out around that time that uh, that guy was a very, very um, anti-corruption figure and had spent a lot of time rooting out a lot of um, corruption amongst the three primary investment banks in Iceland. Investing yeah, we we and, should do a deep uh, dive on, on the Iceland uh scandal sometime that that was pretty interesting actually yeah well it was interesting in the sense that uh i think that because the country is so small and if you've ever been to Reykjavik it is small and there's no way that you can kind of like hide amongst the mass of people and kind of hide in the confusion of mass society in iceland uh, it's just it's just too small and limited to do that. So it's very easy to pinpoint someone to find someone uh, if you want. Like you, you know, those people were pissed off, and I think all those guys flood the country when things got rough. But it would have been very easy if you really wanted to to just find them. Like there's not a lot of places where you can feasibly live in Iceland that someone couldn't go get you at. Yeah. Yeah, I think with journalism, it's I mean, we talked the other week about uh, a murdered journalist, and I think one of the things about the the myth that they built around it is every now and then you get people who themselves they grew up on it. They're watching the you know watching like all the President's Men, that kind of uh, Hollywood fiction, and then they believe it themselves, you know, and they so they get into it with the idea that's what it's about. But then, you know, they don't realize it's like, no, guy, that's not how this game works. I think that's a myth. I, I'm going to say that's a lie. Uh, I, I would say that there are very few contemporary journalists. And remember, journalism, because of the obscenely low uh, kind of on paper pay scale, it's mostly a, a hobby or a pastime of the children of wealthy elites until they move on to a position of some sort of import but uh, it, it's know, a very young people. it's a very young profession there's very there are, there are people who were burnt out who were real who wanted to do real journalism and they they got the message pretty quickly and they ended up writing and doing work for alternative media i don't think this is a lie at all I think oh i mean i think there there are some yeah but i mean if you if you take a poll of you know the the staff no, of small, any particular you know non uh non-alternative publication the idea that they even know who the fuck woodward and bernstein are let alone actually buy into the mythos as opposed to like actually buy into the mythos 
as opposed to just using it as their story for why they conveniently found themselves in a position of largely unaccountable, pretty uh, hard power. Uh, I mean, honestly, I think that if you look at these people's formative experiences, it's like saying like, oh, yeah, I went into politics because I just I really believe in the wisdom of the founding fathers. It's like, OK, well, that guy is uh, uh, he's playing some game. I, I need to you like know his affiliations. You can just assume that if some guy says that, you're like, yeah, you're probably like a gay Mormon. I, I can just ignore you. Well, only because only the Republican Party talks about the wisdom of our of founding fathers, and they're the ones staffed with gay Mormons. But you know, right. like yeah. if somebody, it, it's like if somebody starts on the left, if somebody starts talking up the wisdom of Martin Luther King or whatever. It's like, okay, well, immediately I know you're full of shit and you're probably a sociopath who desires nothing more than your boot on somebody's face in perpetuity. But it's very important for them to preserve the myth that they have this kind of ethos as opposed to that they're just butt boys for the power structure. Like with ideally the payoff that they get to uh, crack some skulls of their own uh, accord. Uh, on their way up that greasy pole. What do you guys think of Michael Tracy? Well, I think, I think he's Michael great. Tracy is like he's... one of the few genuine people, not only in journalism but <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> he's so close to cracking at any given moment. Like yeah. you can just see it. You can just see him I edging. Him. I honestly feel bad for the guy. You can tell like he's been all the people that he used to consider friends and that I think he would want to continue being friends with have turned on him and just shit on him constantly and basically regard him as some kind of traitor because of the way he's decided to take a realistic approach to some very basic issues. Like, you know, it, is it feasible that Donald Trump is literally working for the FSB? Um, that's probably not feasible. I don't think that that's realistic. And for that, he was basically, you know, lost his political or his journalistic career, and he's stuck just doing stuff on Twitter and writing for random publications. Yeah, just like perpetual yeah, he, he showed up on uh, Around the Empire, which is a pretty good recent, uh, recently introduced podcast. I'll put a link to it. Uh, but he was actually comparing what they're doing to Trump, um, I think, in his own mind to maybe his own experience, because he was saying that uh, the funeral of john mccain was was really representative of how this country runs it's it's run by a uniparty where you know people from the democrats and the republicans i mean there was bush and there was obama shaking hands and smiling and laughing and giving sermons meanwhile trump who's not part of this group was not invited to this event uh, and so i think he feels uh, similarly he's he's basically cast out of this inner circle and he 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 speaks very negatively of these people, uh, how out of touch they are and how, how much they're basically running the empire for their own benefit uh, to the detriment of everybody else. And when you look at the life of John McCain, I mean, it, it's sort of strange how he got where he is and became like this leading political voice in the country. I mean, John McCain had a very, very uh, dubious military career. He was involved in several accidents that he just due to his own incompetence. Well, yeah, he killed a bunch of people. On the yeah, like, dubious incidents father. puts it mildly. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to avoid getting whacked, so I'm going to stick with dubious incidents. But, you know, he definitely had just this shoddy military career uh, where he got captured, again, because he's an idiot, um, and was incompetent. I mean, when Trump basically said, I like guys who don't get captured, there was a double, I, th- I feel like there was a double entendre there where it was always very obvious, I think, in hindsight, that John McCain got captured either purposefully or just because he was such like a fucking moron and uh, what he was doing that it was just inevitable. I don't think he did it on purpose. Yeah, I, I mean, doubt that. Uh, maybe well, I've, I've always, some part of me has always believed that some of that was maybe orchestrated or maybe he thought he would just get shot down and something would happen. I don't know. We know now that he definitely didn't endure all, all those years of torture he said he did because, I mean, it came out that, I think due to Chuck Johnson, that he was, you know, all those rumors of John of Songbird McCain uh, were true. Yeah, all those in Tokyo Rose. I, I, guys, I uh, have to deal with the situation, so I got I to gotta take off here. But uh, to listeners, uh, if you've stuck around this long, we will be back with normal uh, programming next week. So cheers. Yeah, I mean, bear in mind his uh, his fuck up on the aircraft carrier was like uh, late July, and he was taken uh, prisoner of war in late October. So, I mean, I don't think it's out of the question that he might have been behaving unusually recklessly, but I mean, a lot of guys got shot down over Vietnam. So, yes, that, that's true. That's true. And there were hundreds of guys who were being held prisoner. I mean, I yeah. And I've always assumed that basically the mythology of John McCain is that he was too upright and too noble to take like his father's uh, political back channeling to like get him out early uh, because he didn't want to leave men behind. But that's all sort of done Thanks. away with when you consider that all those non-vets who said for decades this guy was full of shit and this guy's a songbird. He he definitely talked. He definitely did those voice recordings. Uh, and those guys were all branded as being psycho, you know, being wrong, being libelous, being, you know, slanderous. Um, well, it turns out they were always right. This guy definitely didn't endure all the treatment he said he did because he definitely gave up intel. He definitely talked. He definitely did recordings, at least one major one. Um, Which, so it's you always- know, on a, on a personal level, I don't actually, like... People have done worse things under torture. I don't really consider that as a moral failing. I consider his subsequent actions, which look like it's not out of the question that those recordings or some other aspect of his his captivity uh, may quite well have been used as blackmail. Uh, But... (laughs) The uh, the subsequent actions, I think, are worthy of moral condemnation, even if that was the kind of uh, inciting uh, incident. What's, so I, I actually, while we're talking about John McCain, I'll never get another chance to slot this into the program, but I don't know if uh, people caught on the, uh, on the, uh, the last uh, Democratic uh, presidential primary debate, John or uh, uh, Joe Biden had this long rambling 
uh, uh, monologue as he does, uh, where he slipped in uh, the fact that uh, he the way that he phrased it uh, was something like, oh, well, I was in the Senate, John McCain in the Navy. He served under me in the Navy, etc. blah, 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 like Uncle Joe rambling. So it was like, that, that doesn't make any sense. Like, like a colonel or a, you know, a captains or whatever rank he was at the time don't report to senators. This doesn't make sense. And he wasn't in the Senate at the time. So I looked into it, and apparently during uh, Joe Biden's first term uh, in the U.S. Senate, John McCain had uh, the position as the uh, Senate liaison officer uh for the actual uh, Navy. Uh, and I, it could have been even the Department of Defense or just the Navy liaison. I, I think maybe just the Navy liaison because they're basically at each other's throats for lobbying purposes. And in that capacity, he was essentially uh, responsible for organizing uh, junkets and foreign uh, excursions and interesting experiences, perhaps even uh novel experiences um, for all the various senators and uh, other political bigwigs who would wish to travel overseas on uh, Navy aircraft or, you know, to do these uh, very cringe, uh, you know, picture of Senator X in a flak jacket uh, at the front or visiting some army base or whatever. So my suspicion is that uh, that was probably uh one of the first, if not the first, uh, moment at which John McCain was uh, completely compromised by U.S. intelligence services, where he's like ad- administering uh, junkets of uh, U.S. political figures to Bangkok and whatnot. Uh, I-, I could see how that's a very handy position for somebody to have if you have a friendly understanding with him uh, in the U.S. intelligence services. I just wanted to slide that in there. You know, it's always been strange to me, some of his other decisions in life. Like, why? I mean, the obvious matter of money, I guess, is why he did this. But why he got involved with Charles Keating uh, as part of the Keating Five. I think he was the only Republican who was a member of the Keating Five as well. Um, But why he got involved with that whole scene in in the 80s, especially the late 80s, has always been curious to me. And I think it fits in with this general thesis we were trying to maybe approximate in our episode on Promise. Uh, There was all this sort of this slush money, you know, I would just call it CIA or just sort of weird slush money that was finding its way into different places. And we know that Keating was definitely... Uh, somewhat involved. I think it, it's been it's been uh, speculated and written about that there was definitely intelligence service uh, money laundering that was going on at some of these uh, Keating owned financial institutions. And uh, why John McCain was so deeply ingrained with this guy has always been odd. It was more than just taking money. I mean, Charles Keating was like a part of his life. They like vacationed together, they went places together, they traveled together, and I think maybe part of it was that Keating wanted to show how much power he had, or he could have this sort of U.S. senator or this politician just kind of follow him around and do whatever he tells him to do. 
but it was always odd to me that A, McCain got so involved with that, and B, McCain survived politically and sort of put it all behind him, and it was never talked about. All the other guys who were involved with Charles Keating um, uh, basically lost their political careers, and it's never been clear why exactly John McCain you know, went unscathed. And this goes back to the whole media thing. The The media was relentlessly fluffing him throughout the 90s up until his death. And given his substantive uh, political positions, there's no obvious reason why that would be the case. I mean, you can say like, okay, you know, obviously the myth that the media is... Uh, in any sense, kind of actually left-wing, given their treatment of every neocon ever. Like, fucking David Frum now just gets to pop in on NPR whenever he wants. Uh, But, I mean, he was the actual Republican candidate for president in 2008. It didn't damage his uh, reputation uh, whatsoever, um, on the uh, the right or the uh, the left uh, side of the putative media spectrum, uh, I do remember one very uh, very pearl clutching oiving uh, article about his website's uh, layout. There is like there's a lot of uh, gray eagles in the theme, and uh, somebody was kvetching that oh it's. It's just like Nazi Germany. It's it looks like the triumph of the will and his uh, his website there. But I mean, aside <laughs> from that, he he never really got the uh, the ribbing that you would expect. I mean, that you know George W. Bush uh, got at the time. Uh, <laughs> well, George W. Bush. I mean, remember the media, the way it treated the the W. regime was so histrionic like remember how in 2004 we were literally on the verge of a theocracy in this country yeah you man he's, I mean, whatever he's, happened to that oh, oh man he's a commander in thief he's gonna he's gonna put the the christians like all these christians he's like he's like praying man like that's not like separation of church and state man yeah, I remember even in 2006, in 2007, just even at the time, and I wasn't very old at the time, I always thought it was bizarre. Like, do, do you really, do you, are you guys really worried that you, you're going to be like forced to read the Bible every morning or something? No, I mean, that was that, pure performative, like ACLU Jewry. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. they they were they were upset with some of his aesthetics, like because the the yeah. fact that he would actually uh, go out of his way to mention uh, Christianity, just full stop. Because I mean, it's not like he was taking doctrinal positions. I mean, he was like the Judeo Christian guy. It was clear that he had absolutely no. Uh, uh, proselytizing function, really. He was just sort of like, you know, Jesus as a mascot type thing. But, 
even that, like the the fact that he would deign to uh, make, you know, just kind of token references to like our creator who blesses us with these inalienable rats. Like that was. I, I remember any explicit uh, legislation that he championed was. Uh, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was something to do with faith based yeah. institutions. It, it was basically. Like, so this was one of the nails in the coffin. Like we, we and other right wing outlets have talked about how, like, a lot of the mainline, uh, mainline Protestant and the Catholic Church are essentially giant government contractors that are kept afloat by government contracts for things like uh administering various welfare programs uh homeless services uh refugee resettlement notably so the whole faith-based initiatives thing was a huge part of that was making sure that they uh, had access to these contracts that they didn't necessarily have to follow uh, some of the same standards that theoretically larger organizations did but it was basically like, can we get some gibs uh, for uh, these churches slash synagogues? Because that was that was a huge part of it too, and it dovetailed nicely with the whole uh, school vouchers thing that he was pushing early in his term. Um, the idea being oh, that no child left behind and all yeah. the programs. That, that's a different. Uh, well, oh. well, that I mean, his education policy. It all kind of it did have a, a kind of an aim to it because the idea was okay. Well, no child left behind. You're going to have these failing schools. You're going to have vouchers that let you uh, leave these schools that you identify as failing. The voucher part never got uh, implemented, really. But I mean, that was the idea. But if you look at, I mean, this is this just gives lie to the whole notion that he was some kind of a theocrat. Like, who actually operates religious schools? It's Catholics. And Jews. That's basically it. There really aren't any huge uh, institutionalized Protestant religious uh, elementary slash middle slash high schools. Like they're they're not very common at all. So, but I mean, like that that was part of the idea. You you would theoretically turn over some of the money funnel to these organizations that were kind of surface level affiliated with the Republican Party, plus also a bunch of Jewish organizations that were deathly opposed to the Republican Party, but whatever. Uh, which was all kind of like, I mean, it's not like it's not like the Catholic Church is in any sense a threat to uh, anything, really. Uh, so the idea that writing no, them a bunch so, of checks so would be... compromised. I don't, it's not effective. Like I don't, I don't know if, if the Catholic Church, even if it wanted to, pressure a state to do something, if it could be effective at it, because you just know that that that's, that country's government probably has intel on X number of priests in country who've raped X number of kids, and that can come out anytime. Yeah, that's probably true. I, I would also say the Catholic Church is in alignment with the globalist agenda also, uh, and I think they've been deigned a, an acceptable uh, partner in the push to demolish national governments because their whole thing is about everybody's the same, everybody's in the eyes of God at least, and uh, we're, we're going to demolish borders. 
So I, I think I think the the globalists see them correctly as as part of uh, their plan. Do you remember when uh, I think in the '08 campaign when John McCain basically shut down that elderly woman who was talking about Obama? Yeah, he's he's like, oh, he's he's just as American as you or me, ma'am. He's a yeah. he loves this country. <laughs> I, we just disagree on some policies, man. Yeah, I mean that was that was a criticism of him from the right that he uh, he refused to actually campaign on anything that was effective. I mean, particularly like I mean, you can at least like the dog whistle is a thing. Like you can fire up your base by making, and like historically, the Republican Party, this is all they do. You make meaningless rhetorical, purely rhetorical concessions to your base, and you actually give them nothing. But it doesn't quite rise to the level where it actually galvanizes the opposition. Like, just, you know, I mean, Trump is actually great at this, just throwing in bon mots every once in a while. Like, you know Barack Obama from you know Chicago or wherever, wherever he's from, <laughs> and people are like, "Hell yeah, not my president!" And it's like, I mean, that doesn't require you to actually do jack shit, right? Chicago style socialists. That's I, I that's a, a, that's another I good one. A short anecdote. Um, I was actually in. Central Park in Manhattan. Uh, this was years ago, and it was still during Bush, but it, he was clearly going to be uh, replaced because you know you only get two terms. Although they were claiming he would get uh, an infinite number, of course. But I asked this guy who was a street vendor. He had this big table set up with all these, uh, you know, Bush is evil, Bush is Hitler uh, pins. I'm like, what are you going to do next year? He's like, I don't know. I'll blame somebody else. I mean, it was just—it's all bullshit. Yeah, what is the term? What is like? I mean, I'm, I'm just gonna say, in, uh, in the area I'm in, there's definitely a huge market for that kind of stuff, both pro and anti-Trump, and it's always been odd to me. So, what if, like, you know, what if Trump is just not like a president? No, they're year? they're like vendors, dude. When I went to the inauguration, the Obama inauguration in '08, it was actually. People complained about oh the the theocratic tendencies of the Bush administration, but it was nothing compared to the overt like literal Barack Obama in a halo swag that was being hawked by the street vendors. But that's just what they do. Like whoever the whoever the president is, they just you know hawk the merch. Yeah, yeah. I remember that was like a common refrain on. On uh, like the libertarian, like the the Reddit page for libertarianism around 2013, like statism, it's a religion, and it was a picture Whoa. of like a, a, like a boomer white woman with an Obama shirt on, with like her eyes closed and her hands open, like she was praying. Yeah, was like, many yeah. such cases. And so I, that's that's deep. Scott Alexander, whose uh, blog I love to pimp because it is a great uh entry point for anyone really 
um, because he gets just up to the line of crime think, realizes that it's crime think, says that can't possibly be true because it would be crime think, basically explicitly, and then, like, you know, goes back and does whatever. Uh, but, like, the analysis is sound and the, uh, uh, yeah, it's it's just a good place. Anyway, uh, he had this uh, post about how during the early days of the internet, and this is a sort of thing like millennials only need listen to this, uh, or I guess millennials only will understand this. Zoomers are the ones that need to understand this. But the atheism versus religion, like this used to be a thing online this used to be a huge thing. This used to be basically the font of all controversy in kind of the, uh, the you know, the noughties, the, uh, the early 2000s. There were like, there were entire discussion forums where people would actually engage on this. There were kind of general interests forums that would have off-topic forums, one for religion versus atheism, and one for everything else off topic. Uh, this was the whole, um, like Dawkins, uh, the other, you know, kind of celebrity atheist type thing. And it all basically evaporated as soon as the internet had mass, uh, penetration, which is, I mean, this is an extremely interesting social phenomenon. If you consider how little this question matters anymore, uh, especially how little it informs kind of internet discourse. And one of the theses is, is that basically it got can get it got subsumed by the notion of uh, social justice. There is this um, kind of uh, strain of atheism. Uh, it was like, oh, like we're really against religion, but we also believe in social justice, which then turned into like, we believe in social justice, but we're also atheists. Uh, and then like, but we're also, also atheists just kind of became implicit. But I mean, these, these social trends of kind of religion with a capital R isn't really a thing. You have various religious communities. And as soon as you start talking about religion with a capital R, you're you're probably talking about some other phenomenon that's wearing religion as a skin suit. Like we know that was the case with the George W. Bush administration in particular, because their religion with a capital R ended up being purely like, let's try to affiliate with the rubes, but not so hard that they actually get amped up and uh, vote us into victory too many times. Right. I remember, I want to say from 06 to 09, maybe 10, was when I really started to get into, you know, more thoroughly into the internet, became very online, you might say. But what I always noticed was that uh, there was always a, a distinct lack of actual argument happening. It was always huge huge forums uh threads that were devoted entirely or you know i should say not devoted uh populated entirely by people who were atheists like it's in theory there were these kind of there was this variety of sites where 
these issues were debated. But if you actually like read through the forum posts, it was extremely rare to actually find someone who would admit that they were religious or even just arguing as devil's advocate. And it seemed to be more focused on various ways these people would compare on how to deconstruct people's perception of religion. There was very little actual religious people there, there were... getting online and, and bothering to argue about it. I mean, there and were I forums. I don't, really I, mean, know, I don't really know why this this sort of stopped. I think because atheism became so cringe, and because it became associated with the SJW community, I guess, um, people have naturally gravitated towards something that's different than that, which probably explains the huge explosion of... Uh, you know, e-caths and uh, e-religious people and online integralism. Um, it's just sort of a reaction to that period of time. But I, you, I, you know, I whenever I hear integralism, I picture like a uh, you know, not even two thousands vintage, but nineteen ninety seven vintage uh, web page on GeoCities with like an animated uh, like Pope hat that has like a blink tag on it. See, and, that would be better than what most of it is now, which is like literal pe- literally people who were gay, either were gay or are gay, admittedly, uh, who have never worked a hard day in their life, typically like a white-collar job. Uh, and they also, for whatever reason, want the Pope to lord over their daily life. Uh, I don't know why. There well, are, it's the like, whole like, honest... Pope is mascot thing. It's, it's, it's a very similar yeah. thing, actually, to the whole... Because the, the early 2000s were also the rise of, I guess it depends on which area you were in, but it, it was the whole uh, mega church boyfriend Jesus thing. Yeah, yeah. Joel like, Austin definitely he's still going his pretty rise strong. to power in the 2000s. Apparently mm-hmm, yeah. Kanye is in communication with Joel Austin. Joel Austin yeah, is surprised. literally a Jew. Like, I, I don't know really? how you look at that guy. And don't immediately say, "Oh, this is just like a Jew pretending I mean, to be evangelical." Evangelical. Phenotypically, sure, I could maybe see it, but I mean, are you, are you actually sure of that? No, I'm not actually sure of that, but I, I have good instincts, and I just look at this guy and the way he yeah. acts. I'm like, "Oh, okay. Well, more more than likely, this is literally a Mossad agent who decided to be an evangelical one day." His past, the, the weirdest thing about Joel Austin is his past is pretty shaky. He's always been kind of a grifter. And he just sort of stumbled into this and got a bunch of money to build these churches and then was off to the races. Like, it, his whole empire sort of came out of nowhere and surprised people. But anyways, that, I, dig- I digress from that from that, uh, that tangent. But I will, what I will say is that uh, there are honest to good like integralists, I guess, online, and you know some of them probably listen to the show. There are those of you who genuinely believe in these things and have cogent arguments, um, but there's definitely a huge contingent of the people that you're surrounded by who are just acting in response to the cringe of atheism uh, as it existed for like 10 to 15 years on the internet. Uh, And in 10 to 15 years time, they will have made integralism just as cringe and they'll move on to something else. 
just as just as there's still like diehard center left atheists on Reddit who didn't get into the SJW stuff, uh, and like have I guess cogent arguments for atheism, uh, there will still be you know cogent people uh, or cogent arguments from people in thirty years I guess for integralism. Um, but there's definitely been this weird, edgy fringe movement from atheism to integralism or just religiosity to I don't know what's next. And I'll just I'll just get meta here for the fun of it. I honestly don't care what your beliefs are. As far as I'm concerned, I mean, this is kind of a basic bitch empiricism point, but if I look at you and you have a belief that says, you know, the the supreme deity is this volcano god named Xenu that wants us to purge our thetans and whatever, and you behave identically to somebody who's just like, you know, a nice Episcopalian from flyover country, then your belief is not explanatory of your actions, and I just don't care about it. The only circumstance in which these kinds of belief systems matter is when they actually explain some sort of a pattern of behavior. So, I mean, I'll be honest, this is one of the reasons why I thought that uh, Moldbug's um, uh kind of explanation of uh, progressivism as one strain of English Calvinism. I know people disagree a lot with that. They bring up the the, Jew, the Jewish influence, etc. Um, even some of the substantive analysis people disagree with. But I do actually find it explanatory. If you are going to look at the uh, if you're going to like look at some random uh, democratic political figure and you try to predict, okay, what is their position on X going to be in six months? What are they going to do during this debate? If you kind of model it as a virulent form of uh, Calvinism, it, it actually works better at predicting things that you would not otherwise be able to predict. And if I look at, quote-unquote, integralists, your preferred political solution, because you are in no position to advocate for it uh, or to organize for it or really to do anything to advance it, your analysis about why it's favorable, okay, whatever, like you can agree or disagree with that like technical analysis, but your belief is completely irrelevant because as far as I can tell, it doesn't cause them to do anything differently than they would have otherwise. Yeah. 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 Like Adrian Vermeule, if he wasn't an integralist, he would pick some other weird shit that he could talk about at cocktail parties while he like does his best to blow whoever has the best chance of advancing his academic career. Like, yeah, I, I look at uh, that other guy, Saurab Amari. Saurab, I have no idea how to pronounce this this guy's name. Um, but he, he is, him and Vermeule are identical in this sense, where they, it definitely is what I would call um, fringe hopping. And they are, they're trying to seek, maybe for very duplicitous or bad purposes, uh, trying to seek out these fringes. I mean, honestly, who even used the word integralist 
uh, in day-to-day speech. Well, I, I don't even know what that means, and I don't really know who half these people are, I'll be honest. But my observation, uh, hanging out occasionally in some of these places on the internet mainly, but occasionally in real life as well, bumping into these types, which is, is quite quite jarring because you can only find like this many uh integralist whatever you want to call them types of people in a physical meat space uh you couldn't do that without the internet and so i think what happened is you know the the general cultural zeitgeist of globo homo uh alienated quite a few people and so a lot of these types were looking for alternatives and so they find something online that you know mold bugs uh unqualified reservations might be one uh integralism i guess is another uh but these people then start talking to each other and then they start formulating some sort of coherent narrative about why they're on the outs and why it's unfair right and i'm i'm kind of generalizing uh but i i think that's that explains a lot of the, the younger people uh and then some of the some of the more successful more public people typically older uh like uh I don't know, uh, Kanye West, we were just talking about. People like that, um, they're more opportunists, in my opinion. I think he's kind of a guy who likes to uh, shock people and to get their attention. So I recently saw this thing where he was being interviewed on his ranch now, and he's wearing like a bathrobe, and he's talking about how you know we need to all be connected to the land. I mean, the guy's got millions of dollars. I mean, this is not a realistic option for most people, unfortunately. And I would I would actually agree with him on on what he's he's saying, but I, I don't I don't feel the. I think he believes it in the moment, but I've I've watched him enough over his career to see him hop from one political platform to another that I don't quite think he's a reliable. Uh, deep thinker on much to be honest even though i may at the moment agree with a lot of what he's about um and i i I categorize people like that as someone who's maybe what you're talking about like a fringe seeker somebody who's who's using an edgy thing to to signal to others that they're they're above everybody else uh, and I, I'm, I'm, I don't really believe, you know, that harshly on what Connie's uh, doing at the moment, but I would say there's some element of that to his career where he'll basically do these outlandish things like, uh, grab the microphone from Taylor Swift and, and then next, you know, two years, he's like jumping onto the stage at the music awards, you know, with Taylor Swift, uh, arm in arm. And then, and the other one, he'll, he'll basically go on this rant about, uh, pharmaceuticals and then he's now he's a trump supporter and then back in the day he was basically telling uh everybody that george george bush doesn't give an f about black people so Accurate. he's all up fair that happened during his presidency or the most untrue thing ever said about him <laughs> he he brought up that specific example i think in like an interview with katie couric he he <laughs> It severely impacted George Bush's psyche. Yeah, (laughs) because he's literally, he is the constituency where it's the joke. um, I I tell this joke all the time to like vaguely edgy Republicans that what do you call the only only black man at the uh, Republican uh, Party County Caucus? Mr. Chairman. (laughs) Because they're so like... George W. Bush is a liberal, like a capital L liberal. He has drank so deeply of the well of liberal ideology 
that that is core to his being. And as he interprets that, that means that all men have this sort of inherent moral quality, but especially the poor benighted blacks whom have had such a poor lot in life. And, you know, we don't need big government to help them out. We just need to let them recognize the innate goodness Jesus Christ has bestowed upon them and allow them to rise to their own occasion. Like, it's it's that kind of shit. But, like, you know, the effect of that is that when they're like, actually, we want no part of that, they take it as a affront. It's like, imagine one of those, uh, one of those cringe, uh, the, word, the word of the night is cringe, by the way. Like Ivanka surrounded by like the smiling black villagers, like doing the every white women dot text thing. Like imagine yeah. like the that moment at which the villagers are like, actually, fuck you. You've gone too far. Like fuck you. We we don't like you. We want no. It's like no, but I really I really want to help. I just I, it's like no. Fuck you, lady. Get out of here. Scampery bitch. Like. That dejected, uh, like when the 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 object of your kind of pity slash affection turns on you, it's like you know you, you can't recover from that. It, it was always really strange to me, uh, and this this kind of still is in line with this fringe hopping thing that we're on. Um, why exactly this online uh, that I, I still regard it as a, just a pure reaction to um, how insane the internet was up till like 2014 with atheism and then um, sort of I guess SJWism. Um, how you know how much these people have bent over backwards to. Uh, continue this, you know, almost George Bush style reverence towards blacks and just non-whites in general. Like, well, we, no, we not non-whites in general. Like specifically blacks. Yeah, specifically blacks. Like we we absolutely have to have black integralists, and we need to welcome in blacks into the into the Catholic Church. We need to make sure that they marry you know, some of our people, so we're all, everything is good to, you know, nice and mixed up, and it's like, okay, you're you're already in the fringe ideology, pal. Why exactly, why exactly are you holding on to these vestiges of, of like, the, the mainstream ideology that you are trying to escape from? It's so bizarre to me. Like the the fringe hopping, you can tell is disingenuous because it's never none of the the core precepts of the fringe that they're trying to inculcate themselves with and inculcate themselves into uh, it actually you know colors their view of really critical topics. It's sort of like a mask, like. You know, what if we had liberalism, but with, like, a, a papal magistrate? But the Pope. Yeah, liberalism, yeah, but yeah. the Pope. We had a papal magistrate instead of a governor. And, you know, he told us that, uh, you know, 
divine revelation says that racism is bad instead instead of you know 1966 and 67 anti-discriminatory federal legislation like that that's the the the, the real core i think dif difference right it's so odd to me how like you know people have decided to hop onto the fringe of the fringe but also maintain the vestiges of like common american establishmentarianism it's it's just so completely weird it's like if you're going to be on the fringe just go balls to the wall why not i mean i don't know if you're going to if you're going to do this I mean, online but it, it's like it's art. it's not really fringe it's like quirkiness because that's the right, aesthetic yeah. these people try to cultivate it's like oh yeah like my political ideals are are pretty radical but I mean, it, it's like okay but they're so radical and they're so manifestly unconnected to any action that you're taking that they're they're just irrelevant it's it's like you know i but really my passion is i'm a scholar of the klingon language like okay that's i guess that's what you do on weekends could have just used my imagination but now i know for sure yeah Actually, you know, I think it all goes back to uh, that meme that I want to say Ghoul from TRS back in the day. He's mm, uh, got some good made, memes. It, it was like, I happen to be fiscally conservative but socially liberal. Uh -huh. I bet, bet you've, you've never, never met anyone. Like, anyone like me before. Yeah, yeah, he did create that one. Mm -hmm. I, I think that it all goes back to that. And I want to say that maybe in large part a lot of what we're also seeing in the wider dissident Twitter sphere is a natural evolution of that mentality that came from online libertarianism, which was basically like, I need to find a way to be edgy, but not too edgy and have this mask of it's, it's, uniqueness. Yeah. I mean, and you can interpret it in one way as kind of a cry for help that, right. It's the very polite way of saying, hi, ha have you noticed that we live in a society and that society seems to be a machine that's bleeding to death? And Yeah, like, and help? it's a safe way to do it. I mean, I, I remember personally having this dilemma, looking around me and seeing things not adding up. And, you know, I, I didn't want to go for the Republicans or the Democrats because I saw so much corruption and hypocrisy there. And the convenient thing about being an outside party is that you never really have any responsibility. So therefore, you're never really put to the test in terms of your ability to uh, maintain your principles. In other words, uh, to show uh, either hypocrisy or non-hypocrisy non or consistency. And so like Ron Paul, I mean, for example, like he's one of the most diehard guys in terms of his philosophy. And yes, he was actually uh, pretty consistent with what he said and what he did in Congress, but he had real no, really no power, and he didn't win the presidency for probably reasons we would all, uh, we would all know without me having to go through it. But what I remember though is that I would, I would be having, trying to have like legitimate, critical discussions with people who typically were on the left, uh, and I just remember, you know, trying to like, I'm not a Republican, you know, don't crucify me, but I would try to advocate for really what i wanted which was what i think a lot of us in whatever we are in now want is that basically we just want kind of the the traditional european societies or at least the america of 
60, 70 years ago, whereby we could we can have an honest uh, group of citizens that are not being manipulated by a very small elite, uh, and we could have an opportunity for raising a family and things like that. Uh, and you had to couch it in this sort of anti-racist, uh, very nebulous stuff because you can't get into the European uh, culture stuff. But what you can do is you can criticize this this very amorphous blob called the government. Uh, and that government is obviously controlled by uh, some very very elite groups that are not of, of our people, uh, it would seem, these days. And so that conveniently met what we were trying to do, but it was wrapped in this politically palpable wrapper that we could actually package and deliver to people who were maybe in disagreement with us and not get accused of uh, the greatest sin of the American culture, which is racism and all the other isms. So I, I just remember that being kind of the main driver for why I think a lot of us, including myself, were attracted to it. It wasn't. It wasn't an attempt to be fringe. It was just like I. I couldn't communicate my my principles uh, otherwise. You know, right. safely. And, and I think there's definitely a lot of people who are in these various roles who are not. They're not. Uh, I think trying to be fringe. I don't think that that's the goal. Um, but there's definitely an element at play nowadays, and increasingly so, where there's there's there is a, a swell of people who are latching onto these things who are uh, very cringe. Oh, no, there always are going to be types like that. And I yeah, call and, and there's always going to be types like Adrian Vermeule, who are, you know, at at the at the best, um, just sort of a sycophant. Um, at worst, you know, literally a federal agent of some kind who is doing this. I mean, to- he's not like. <laughs> I, I I honestly don't think the, these guys are so irrelevant. Like they're interesting as a social phenomenon of this particular social circle. But I mean, Adrian Vermeule specifically, the idea that he is a a federal agent, I don't think actually captures the uh the extent to like just read the fucking paper that he wrote with Cass Sunstein like that's all you need to do and the thesis of this paper is that conspiracy theories are this huge threat to democracy so in order to subvert conspiracy theories the federal government should insert a combination of agents provocateurs and <laughs> and uh, ineffectuals uh, into conspiracy circle, uh, conspiracy theory circles, in order to attempt to derail their discussions and move them to more productive avenues. Is like, that interesting? That's, how that's, which is just like the, the idea that you would write that down. It's like, okay, so like, I mean, I can imagine a couple of of like reasons why you might write that down. Like number one being just as a general signal that hi, I'm devoid of principles. Do you have employment for me? Maybe I could be very helpful to whoever's willing to actually sign checks. The other one is that like you're literally stroking yourself off about how, and I do mean literally, about how transgressive like ha i wonder if they'll get the subtle irony that in a sense we're proposing a conspiracy to derail these theorists of the same 
<laughs> How brunch. Like <laughs> I can just imagine Vermeil with his like ugly half race kid at some, you know, like party at Harvard or something bragging about how he's really gotten to know and understand the online right community. I can just I can just picture him doing but that. These but these people are like they like um, that particular guy it's only annoying because he's like putatively Catholic and makes that part of his bankrupt political ideology. But I, I mean, for every Vermeule, there, there's like, really there's a dime a dozen of these guys. He's just annoying face. to us in particular. He doesn't, he, I mean, if you, he doesn't really go into his faith. Like, he doesn't seem like a intensely spiritual guy. I mean, the all of my religious sentiment is based around me actually believing in what I believe in. Like, I, I do believe in it 100%. But I've never really gotten that impression from him. What's also interesting is that, it, you know, his deeper and deeper involvement in this sphere definitely coincides with the FBI basically coming out and saying that conspiracy theorists are tantamount to uh, terrorism. Well, okay, let's, let's be clear about exactly what happened, though. Is this, this is something, I love the guys i find them very entertaining i find it very 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 annoying when they conflate two actors that actually are distinct and don't explore the dynamic between them uh particularly when you talk about this so this was like some random i think that i want to say arizona but i'm not sure uh fbi field office and They've always got somebody who's like writing up weird memos and sending them out that does not represent necessarily like in all caps FBI official policy, which also doesn't represent DOJ policy, which also doesn't represent the policy of the U.S. federal government. Now, they do sometimes use these uh, branch offices to throw up trial balloons when they don't quite want to sign their name to something, but like you got to actually look at the dynamic involved and because like you can also see a world in which depending on which area of the country, if you've got like a bunch of, for instance, I'm just saying hypothetically sovereign citizens that are like actually being very, very annoying and causing a lot of problems for that particular FBI branch office they might write up a memo about it and couch it in these terms of like, ah, conspiracy theories, threats to the Republic, whatever. Like, you know, if they've had to actually listen to a, a horde of QAnons in the federal plaza that they work on top of for the last like six months, they could get miffed about it. I don't know. Like, I'm just saying these are like hypotheses and I wish they were explored i guess by people that had the resources to explore them but that's a, that's a digression hans so uh in closing we've uh we've spitballed here for for a while but we'd like to bring it back to uh to halloween land this very spe spooky episode uh so our closing question for the uh, the crowd uh is prediction what will be next year's 
cool Halloween costume. Hans, you want to take a stab at it? Don't steal mine, Hans. That's all. Well, I, I have a few. I have a few. Okay, that start with one. Then let me go. Then you. Can I, go I definitely, that. I definitely predict, predict that maybe not cool is it'll be cringe, but it'll be popular and cool amongst the cringe. Uh, will be Donald Trump in an orange jumpsuit or mm. handcuffs. That's definitely going to be one of the popular ones. All right, my turn. So you kind of did steal what I was going to say. I was basically going <laughs> to riff on the fact that the election is going to be right after Halloween next year, and there's got to be at least some parents that are forcing their kids to wear their p- particular political persuasion. And, of course, some of the kids are, uh, at least the older ones most likely, are going to be motivated to put on a candidate costume, which, whether it's from the Democrats or the Republicans. Uh, beyond that, it's probably going to be inspired by whatever movies are coming out, which I have no clue on because I don't watch uh, anything from Hollywood in the theater, at least these days. Uh, but, yeah, it's going to be some something like that. And, of course, then you'll have the, uh, the traditional ones. But, Hank, uh, what are your predictions? Uh, I predict it's going to be post-stroke Joe Biden. <laughs> it's going to be like this will be a thing that like the art kids are going to get really into because it's really difficult uh if yeah, you imagine you like that? a prosthesis that paralyzes like how or appears to like just a static prosthesis on half of your face that looks natural but also like joe biden it's a tough road to hoe but i mean most of it is just in the delivery because you got to be talking like rambling really out of one side of your mouth and like you know, smelling people's hair, which, you know, you know, Halloween, you'd be doing that anyway. I don't know what kind of parties you guys go to, but uh, that's that's how we roll over here. Uh, so that's my prediction, post-stroke Joe Biden. You know, I, I think that things are just going to get more transgressive, so I wouldn't be shocked if uh, there is some kind of, like, abortion-themed... Oh, dude, I saw some horrifying shit on that theme on Twitter. Did you guys see the, the tranny? Yeah, yep, uh, that's the one. The belly. We don't yeah. need to dwell on that. Savior, don't even be tempted to try to find what we're referring to. It's like... Like, disgusting people can, like, dis- like transgress however they want, but ultimately it's, like... You're, you're not shocking you know, the, anyone. It, what it is, is it's, uh, I have something to say about this. The, the, the drag queen really is the personification of someone who's desperate for attention. Uh, and I mean, how could you explain it any other way? I mean, to somebody who's, who's literally wearing outrageous, I mean, even for a woman, they're, they're wearing outrageous amounts of makeup, uh, these giant wigs, these ridiculous costumes. And this person in particular was just taking it to uh, not even the next level, but like the sort of like bottom level of, of in terms of uh, cultural taste uh, so yeah we don't need to describe what this person was doing but I think it does uh, it does match up to what we were talking about before about people trying to be edgy and doing doing things for shock value and attention it really has nothing to do with their principles per se but it's it's just to get attention and so yeah we, we live in a very hyper connected society where everybody is trying to one-up each other and it's hard to do that when everybody is connected and instantly able to see the most interesting thing at the moment, hashtag trending. Uh, and so uh, that just that just motivates people to push it up. Uh, oh, more. you know what? I, I actually, I think I know what's going to be popular amongst uh, the women. 
I think that there's like another Frozen movie coming out next year. Either uh, we didn't account either. for the Disney calendar. Yeah, it'll be a slutty version of uh, you know, oh, free uh, Frozen. Yeah, free, on that theme uh, for you know, if, if you are a uh, a man with a lady, um, or if you find yourself in that situation. It's important that you do a couple's costume. It sort of uh, has a an existential Stockholm syndrome effect because you can't really like run away for the whole night uh, because then the costume won't make sense, of course. So, you know, things are moving so fast now that I'm not even sure if this meme will have currency. But while she is a slutty pregnant Elsa, it's very important that you dress up as Spider-Man abortionist or, you know, whatever. Pick pick your uh, your like Mad that, Lib that uh, version, but only uh, only 2017 kids, I guess, will remember the uh, the YouTube kids debacle. Maybe you can have your uh, your weird single friend have the uh, the Ukrainian producer or whatever in the background. You know what? I'm surprised I didn't see this. All right, Han, no more. <laughs> well, you know, you know what I'm surprised I didn't on. see was like uh, uh, Chuck and Nancy. Remember? Uh, that was a big meme. Uh, that that was a temporary meme. That was a temporary meme? That did not that have staying power. It was, like, it was a flash in the pan meme. Yeah. Actually, you know what would be funnier? It's like Ilhan, or not Ilhan. Well, I guess Ilhan Omar, an older white boyfriend but just like any of like you know it would be it actually be great is if uh a bunch of either white women who put on various shades of like blackface or just brown face uh had, and like brought like white boyfriends and were like we're the squad and they wore pantsuits and everything yeah uh, like this the squad's like jacked white boyfriends would yeah. be a uh <laughs> Like if if you've got the uh, the physique to pull off the Chippendales look, then you definitely want to go as like AOC's boyfriend with your uh, your lady dressed up as AOC. AOC's like ginger Neanderthal boyfriend. Yeah. All right, guys. So maybe the uh, the real moral of the story here is that next year is basically going to be Halloween, and the entire year is us wearing costumes and not knowing what our true selves are. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> we all wear masks.
Come on.